Okay, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, Luke 10, 38 to 42. Luke 10, 38 to 42. And while you're finding your passage in Luke 10, remember that Jesus has been approached by a lawyer who asked him about eternal life. And the two greatest commandments were mentioned, to love God and to love our neighbor. Then Jesus gives an example of loving our neighbor in the parable of the Good Samaritan. And now we have another example of what it means to love neighbor, but also it's focused on the word of the Lord, loving the neighbor in the proper way, that is, in, in this incident with Martha and Mary and the Lord, we have Jesus emphasizing the fact that we ought to be focused on spiritual things rather than physical things in order to learn about the Lord and to love our neighbor. That's what we will study this evening. And the counterpart to this, or the corollary to this, will be in chapter 11. The first part of chapter 11 encourages us to pray. Our passage will encourage us to listen to the word of the Lord, to properly know and understand how to love our neighbor and to love God. And then the next chapter will start with prayer. These are the two means we have to love and to know God's will, the word of God and prayer. So, Luke 10, 38. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary, who moreover was listening to the Lord's word, seated at his feet. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only a few things are necessary, really only one. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. They enter, they travel along, and likely they were traveling from Jerusalem, and they entered a certain village. This village is most likely the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. John chapter 11 mentions uh, another incident in the life and ministry of Christ, and it names the village as Bethany. Bethany, the village, was about two miles away from Jerusalem. This is where the three of them lived. So they are entertaining Christ, perhaps on a journey from there back to the north into Galilee. And it says, a woman or a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. It says, welcomed him into her home. That expression has led some commentators to think that Martha was widowed by this time, and that's why it's called her home. And as a widow, she was also housing Mary and Lazarus, because in John 11, the home of the three of them is one home where Jesus went because Lazarus had died and he was about to raise him up from the dead. So Martha is doing the right thing here. She's helping or entertaining Jesus while he's on a journey. And likely also it says they, so it would have been Jesus and his disciples who were being entertained by Martha in her home. She's doing a good and right thing. She's practicing hospitality with them. And then verse 39. She had a sister called Mary, who moreover was listening to the Lord's word seated at his feet. 
She is doing the work and Mary is listening to the Lord's word. She is, Mary is, listening to spiritual things, interested in unseen things, interested in heavenly things, the word of God. She has that as her focus because she knows the Lord is there and the Lord will be there temporarily. And since the Lord is teaching, that is more important than anything else that's going on around in the house. Listening to the Lord's word while he is teaching. And notice how devotedly she is listening. She is seated at his feet. Seated at his feet. This is both literal, but also it's significant in that it shows how intense she was, how eager she was as a disciple of the Lord to listen to whatever he was saying in order to obey it, to have no distractions all around, you know, not, not seated in the corner of the room, not outside, trying to listen uh, to what's going on on the inside and do something on the outside of the house, nothing like that. She's right there near him because she is humble and she's devoted to hearing what he has to say and she doesn't want to do it with uh, distractions. Without distractions, she is doing this. This is the contrast. Mary is listening and Martha welcomes him. And then verse 40, it's not just welcomes him, but see in verse 40, but Martha was distracted with all her preparations. She was hosting several people in her home, which is a good thing. However, she let all the preparations distract her, bother her, annoy her, and she was not listening to the Lord's word, or she was not soliciting the help of others so that the burden could be shared. She put the whole burden on herself, made herself anxious about everything that she had to do to prepare for the food, to prepare for the meal. Whatever the meal was, whether it was simple or elaborate, we don't know, but whatever it was, that was a distraction to her. What she was doing initially to host all of them became that which was a stumbling block to her. It became a source of temptation to be tempted to anxiety and worry. That's what happened to her. She was distracted by it. So much so that she came up to him. She came up to him. He's teaching and she comes up to him. Mary was at the feet of Jesus, but then she comes up to him. She's still standing and she has the temerity to say, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. She stands up to Christ, which is wrong, of course. And then notice what she does. She calls him by the right name, but after saying Lord, she doesn't behave as though he is her Lord. He sa she says Lord to him correctly, but she doesn't behave that way. She behaves as though she is the Lord and Jesus is her servant or slave. And she's accusing Jesus of insensitivity, of lack of care, lack of concern. He's, or in other words, he is sinning. She is implying here that Jesus is sinning by not understanding Martha's predicament. Isn't that what happens? Isn't that what people do? 
when they look at their situation, they look at their afflictions, they look at their dilemmas, and when they cannot find a way out, they end up blaming God. They misinterpret their circumstances and blame God. She is blaming the Lord. Do you not care? Do you not care? Of course the Lord cares. The Lord cares more for us than we care for ourselves. That my sister has left me to do all the serving alone. Now she has made it into a conflict between her and her sister. She has become divisive. She's be, she ha, has now attacked her sister in the presence of everybody as well. So now she's sinning against her sister, not loving her sister as herself. And then she barks out a command. Now, uh, then tell her to help me. She's commanding Christ, tell her. Tell her is a command. It's an imperative. Tell her to help me. She shouldn't be telling God what to do. God should be telling her what to do. And she should quietly listen to whatever God tells her to do. Verse 41. Now, we have a controversy that has broken out in front of everybody. Right? Verse 41. But the Lord answered and said to her. Now, this is in the presence of everybody. It's right there, isn't it? It's in the presence of everybody. She has brought up something unjustifiably. She has sinned against the Lord, and she has sinned against Mary. Right? And Jesus does not take her aside. He deals with it right there. Something has gone wrong, so Jesus handles it on the spot. Martha, Martha. You are worried and bothered about so many things. He says her name twice. You know, he's saying this because in a sense he is confronting her, in a sense he's also um, uh, understanding her situation but realizing she has no basis. That's why he says, Martha, Martha. And he identifies her sin. You are worried and bothered about so many things. Worried and bothered about so many things. She is worried and bothered about what? Food and drink. Physical comforts. Making sure everybody is happy in the house. In and of, its, of themselves, those things are good things to do. If you have the right attitude. Providing those things for people who are guests in your home is a good and right thing to do with the right attitude. But now, she has let those responsibilities become a burden to her, so now she is worried and bothered. She's anxious. She's troubled, when she shouldn't be. It should not come to that point. And what has caused her to do that? Because she's fixated on physical things. She's fixated on material things. She's fixated on food and drink. Food and drink are necessary things, but when you have the Lord teaching and when the spiritual food is more important than the physical food, then don't let it get you uptight. Don't let it bother you. The food will be served in time. People will eat in time. Everybody will help and share the, the burden of serving in time. Don't worry about it. It'll get done. Let's focus on the spiritual first. That's why he says in verse 42, the spiritual. But only a few things are necessary, really only one. 
When he says that, he means basically you're not focused on the spiritual, the heavenly, the unseen things. That's not where your attention is, and it should be there. Just a way of expressing uh, the fact that when he says a few things, really only one, he's saying you don't see the bottom line. You don't see what is most important. You don't see the spiritual. The spiritual is more important than the physical. But Mary saw it. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Mary has chosen the good part. Mary, in contrast to Martha, notice here too, Christ was not afraid to compliment Mary and criticize Martha in the presence of other people because Martha made it into an issue. So when that problem came, when it surfaced, Jesus just dealt with it. He said, she's in the right, you're in the wrong. That's what he said, didn't he? And she has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Mary has chosen the spiritual part, the spiritual benefits, and that has everlasting, eternal, perennial benefits. But the physical will just benefit temporarily, but the spiritual will last forever. And she knew that, that's why she was focused on it. It won't be taken away. In fact, not only will it not be taken away, as we know from the parable of the talents of money, Matthew chapter 25, in fact, not only will it not be taken away, she's going to be rewarded for it twofold in the life to come because Christ on the day of judgment will reward us. Also, a matter of clarification, when it says Mary has chosen the good part, when it says Mary has chosen, Jesus does not mean that Mary aroused some goodness in herself by herself. It, it, this goodness or this right choice did not originate in herself. It originated from heaven. God granted her wisdom. God granted her a desire. God granted her an inclination, a heart inclined to spiritual things, and she did it. She did what God had previously put inside her. One example of this is Acts chapter 16, verse 14. 16, 14, it says, when Paul was preaching to Lydia, it says, the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. She responded in repentance and faith to what Paul preached, but it wasn't because that response of the heart originated in herself. God opened her heart, and the consequence was she believed, she repented, and then she also, by the way, in Acts 16, 13, and 14, she practiced hospitality. She urged them Paul and Luke to come into her home and to reside there until they went on their way. So this choice has to be a choice that originates from heaven, from the grace of God, working in Mary, and then Mary chooses the good part, the eternal part. So whenever anything is originating from God, it produces a good result in us. When it originates in us, it produces bad fruit. It produces rotten fruit. That's, that's worthy of just being thrown out, not being partaken of. Well, there are two points I would like to emphasize from this explanation. The first one is that the scriptures teach us constantly to 
depend on God, to trust God, and not have anxiety about our circumstances. To depend on God without anxiety. The first passage is Matthew 6. Matthew 6, 25 to 34. Matthew 6, 25 to 34. For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do so for you, O men of little faith? Do not be anxious then, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or... With what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Another passage is Romans 8. Romans 8 26 to 39, Romans 8, 26. And in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom He predestined, these He also called. And whom He called, these He also justified. And whom He justified, these He also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who so separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us. And one more place, Philippians chapter 4, Philippians 4, 4 to 9. 
Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace shall be with you. So these passages make it quite clear that God provides for all of our needs. He protects us. He sees to our physical and spiritual needs. And we have no need to worry because nothing will separate us from the love of God. And the peace of God is available to us in all circumstances. The second point I'd like to emphasize from our passage in Luke is this contrast between Martha and Mary. Mary saw the spiritual as more valuable, and she was considering that. She fixated her mind on the spiritual, not the material and the physical. And for that, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. 2 Corinthians 4, 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, Yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Eternal things are unseen. Unseen are eternal. Another place, Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Hebrews 11, verse 1. We'll read verses 1, 6, and 27. 11, 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Not seen. We hope for... And we don't see things, but we believe in them. And we have a conviction about those things. Verse 6, Hebrews eleven six. 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. If we don't have faith in the unseen, it's impossible to please God, it says. Impossible to please God because we have to believe these two truths, basic truths. Whoever comes to God must believe that he is. But God is invisible. God is unseen. God is spirit. And a spirit does not have flesh and bones, Jesus said. Hebrews eleven twenty seven. Moses believed the same. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him, who is unseen. God is unseen. He's invisible. He is spirit. He does not have flesh and bones. But Moses was as seeing him, 
who is unseen. How was he as seeing him? The simile he's using because he's saying, it's as though he saw him, though he did not really see him. He saw him by faith, not by sight. And also there is 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 to 8. 1 Timothy 4, 6 to 8. After explaining what false teachers do about marriage and food, he says the following, verse 6. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, for bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Bodily discipline is of little profit, he says, Godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And lastly, we have John 14, 9. When Jesus answers Philip, he says, He who has seen me has seen the Father. Yes, we do in a sense see physically, but we are seeing physically in order to see spiritually. Ultimately, we need to see God himself who is unseen. The Father is unseen. And the way we're going to see the Father, the unseen Father, is in the face of Christ. And now, in our generation, we don't see him face to face. We see him through his word and by his spirit who dwells within us. So this is the way we see Christ, by his word and by his spirit. That's the way we see him. These are the two points that we need to glean from this passage, that we should not be anxious about anything and as well fix our minds on spiritual things rather than physical things. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.